invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus, uh, looking this morning at verse 15, the eighth commandment. If you have not brought a Bible with you this morning, our passage is found on page 61 in the Pew Bibles in the Pew Racks in front of you. The clock up here on the pulpit is not working this morning. There's no no time on it. So I'm assuming that means I can preach as long as I want. So, I, yeah, so that's a thank you, I, child. I would love when the ch- children amen uh, there. So I take that as an extra go for it, pastor. All right, so. All right, so we are continuing in the Ten Commandments as we're going through the book of Exodus uh, on uh, Sunday mornings, which we've been in for, for quite a while. We have been seeing that the commandments are broken up basically into to two tables. The first four commandments dealing with sins against God, commandments five to ten, uh, sins against other people. Uh, these are, are sins that are really foundational for society or uh, sins that break the foundations of society or sins that are trying to uphold, I guess we can say, the foundation of society. And this is no less true with this Eighth Commandment that is very crucial for an orderly, righteous, and just society. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your many gifts to us. We thank you, O God, that you have entrusted them to us. May we use them wisely. We pray, O God, that you would help us to be faithful in our lives to this Eighth Commandment. Write it on our hearts today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago, there was a a survey taken... And 90% of those who called themselves evangelical Christians, 90% of evangelical Christians said they had never broken the Eighth Commandment, 90%. Now that probably means they broke the Ninth Commandment, but probably unintentionally probably unintentionally broke the Ninth Commandment. True confessions this morning, I have broken the Eighth Commandment. I have explicitly broken the Eighth Commandment. It was when I was four years old. I was in a store with my mom, and... She was doing something, and I was kind of wandering off a little bit, and there was a a box of little 
blue plastic sticks. I don't, that's what they, that's all I remember them being. I, they're probably something more than just sticks, but I picked one up and I put it in my pocket just because they looked nice or I don't know, I was attracted to it. I had a sensitive conscience when I was a little boy and kind of still do. And so when I got home, I tentatively showed her to her and saw, uh, showed her that I had taken it. I thought it was over, but she put me in the car, drove me back to the store, and I had to tell the lady at the counter what I had done, which I did through tears. Thankfully, I didn't go to prison, but I never did that again. I learned my lesson. So taking something, I, I haven't really, in one sense, just taken something and walked out with it. But, of course, there are many other ways to break the Eighth Commandment, as we're going to see uh, in our sermon this morning. The word to steal that we see here in this commandment, you shall not steal, literally means to carry away by stealth. To carry away by stealth. To take someone else's property unlawfully. But of course, there are many other uh, connotations, wider connotations. So let's begin, first of all, by looking at the commandment itself. The commandment itself. What are we not to do? It says, again, you shall not steal. Okay, at its essence, you shall not carry away what belongs to someone else. Or to put it differently, you shall not take what God has not given you. Don't take what God has not given you. Now, there are many forms in which we can do this. Let me just briefly list. We can't comprehensively list things, but let's list several of these. The most blatant, perhaps, besides that little kid who takes that little stick in the store, would be a, a thief who breaks into a house and steals. Or, of course, a bank robber or something along those lines. A pickpocket. Someone physically taking what does not belong to them. Another example of this would be on a on a higher level, or on a different level, fraud, or embezzlement, or extortion, something along those lines. Another way to steal is to have debts left unpaid. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. And in the context, he includes there taxes. He says taxes 
to whom taxes are due. So we're to pay our taxes. When we don't, that's the way, that's a way of stealing, stealing from the government. Whatever you think about the government, whatever you think about taxes. Another way to steal would be buying on credit beyond our means, beyond our ability to repay. There's also cheating, cheating in a variety of contexts, cheating on taxes, cheating in school, taking somebody else's work or not doing the work and cheating uh, by using something you shouldn't be using in school. Plagiarism would be another way. Plagiarism, stealing someone else's words, using them as your own, would be another way to break this commandment. Failure to put in a full day's work and getting paid for it. That's stealing. Failure to put in a full day's work and getting paid for a full day's of work when you haven't worked it. That's stealing from your employer. Stealing a reputation would be another way that we can break this command. In Shakespeare's Othello, Iago says, he who steals my purse steals trash, but he who steals my good name makes me poor indeed. Stealing a reputation, this would include gossip. One of the great ways we can break this command in the church Gossip in the church, failing to follow biblical guidelines for resolving conflict, for instance, by talking to others before going to a person who you need to confront or someone who you think has sinned against you, whom you feel has wronged you. That's gossip. It's breaking this commandment. Stealing a reputation. Abuse or waste of our gifts is a form of stealing. Or as the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it, idleness. Wasting our gifts. Look at your bulletin at the end of the order of worship, a couple questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. Look at question 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Answer, God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, But he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right 
or by unjust weights and measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, that is, uh, uh, lending at uh, unfairly high interest rates, or by any other uh, or by any way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. Turn over to Exodus chapter 22. See in some way, see the, the importance of this in terms of retribution for God. Look at verse 1 in Exodus 22. We'll come back to this, of course, as we work through Exodus. So I'm not going to go into great detail on some of these verses. But look at verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now notice that. Notice the the retribution here, the repayment amount, five times and four times. You steal one, you steal one oxen, you repay five for one. You steal a sheep, you repay with four for one. That's significant. That's hefty. That's significant retribution. God takes theft seriously. Seriously. I didn't have four or five of those little sticks to repay. I only took one. I didn't have anything to repay. But God takes theft seriously. Generally, in the Old Testament, payment is double what was stolen. Double. Uh, We see this in verse 7. He shall pay double. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it's stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. Dr. Currid says in his commentary, it's ironic, the thief loses his own, loses of his own what he hoped to gain. The irony there. This is a sad effect of the fall, that we take what is not ours. Of course, this goes back to the fall itself, doesn't it? The first sin itself. Adam and Eve taking what they were not supposed to take. The forbidden fruit. Why? Because they believed that it would bring greater pleasure, greater life. They believed the lie. But you know, the happy effect of conversion is that we become givers, not takers. And this often leads to restitution. It happened, of course, in the Bible in the case of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man he was, the rich tax collector. As we read in Luke chapter 19, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And he had defrauded as a tax collector. 
We also see this historically many times. One of the uh, one of the most amazing uh, accounts in history was about a hundred years ago in the so-called Belfast revival in the 1920s, when shipyard workers were converted. And they returned stolen tools and equipment in such large amounts that in one location, an additional shed had to be brought in to hold all the tools that were being brought in by these shipyard workers that had stolen them in the first place, now returning them. An amazing thing. But it's also significant The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, and a few others will inherit the kingdom of God. After all these sexual sins, immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, Thieves will inherit the kingdom of God. God takes the sin of stealing seriously. The positive side, secondly, is that God calls for proper stewardship of what he has given. Not just do not steal. There's a flip side, positive side, a call for proper stewardship of what God has given. First of all, let's see something important in this command, and that is implicit in this command is a right of private property. A right of private property. The call here is to respect the property of others. In fact, we see repeatedly God upholding property rights and judgment on those who violate property rights. In scripture, ownership includes stewardship. We will have to give an account of what God has given to us. We are stewards, but in this world we are the owners, but primarily stewards of what God has given to us. In an ultimate spiritual sense, it does not belong to us. We are not ultimately the owners. As in the parable of the talents we see in the Bible, we won't turn there, but they, they had to give an account of how they used what they were given. And so we must give an account of how we have used what God has given to us. Our gifts, our time, our money, our resources. And we're primarily for his glory. We must put those things to proper use. We have the responsibility to to do several things with what God has given us. Let's just look at, at, at four here. We can't be exhaustive this morning. We are to use our, our gifts and our resources 
wisely, to seek God's wisdom and and will, not to squander the gifts and resources that, that God has given, not to be for our own pleasure, for our own exaltation, but to serve God. It is our responsibility, secondly, to be industrious with our gifts, not to be lazy with what God has given. This is one of the constant exhortations in the Proverbs. We over and over again read of the sluggard who does not use his gifts well. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work. Another responsibility that we have is to tithe. Is to tithe. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Here's a way that we steal. It explicitly says here's a way that we steal. Malachi 3 beginning in verse 8, will a man will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? How have we stolen from you, God? In your tithes and contributions, or tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We're robbing God, he says, by not bringing in the tithe. What is the tithe? That is 10% of our income. 10% of what God gives to us that we make. Now, many actually argue that the tithe is part of the ceremonial law. It's not necessarily for uh, Christians today. And yet, the tithe actually preceded the ceremonial law. We see it earlier in Scripture. We see it in the book of Genesis. Abraham and Jacob both tithed. And even if tithing is ceremonial law, Jesus actually calls for even more. Even more. The tithe is a good baseline. It's a good beginning. A way of stealing is not to tithe, but we have a responsibility to tithe to God. Fourthly, it also means we, we give to others. We give to others. Ephesians 4, verse 28, Paul writes, Let the thief no longer steal, 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Have something to share with anyone in need instead of stealing hard work and giving is called for a spirit of generosity, giving to the poor, giving to others. Look at question 111 in your bulletin from the Heidelberg Catechism. But what does God require in this commandment? The answer that I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further, also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Helpful questions and answers there. This is all about stewardship. All about biblical stewardship. What we have is from God and we are called to care for his property. What he has given to us. Wayne Grudem, theologian in his book Business for the Glory of God, The Bible's teaching on moral goodness writes this, Ownership of possession is a fundamental way that we imitate God's sovereignty over the universe by our exercising, quote, sovereignty over a tiny portion of the universe, the things we own. When we take care of our possessions, we imitate God in his taking care of the whole universe. And he delights to see us imitate him in this way. In addition, when we take care, uh, when we care for our possessions, it gives us opportunity to imitate many other attributes of God, such as wisdom, knowledge, beauty, creativity, love for others, kindness, Fairness, independence, freedom, exercise of will, joy, and so forth. And this includes our business and our work. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, was once asked by a Christian cobbler how he could best serve the Lord. And he answered this way, make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Best serve the Lord, make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. It was a a Norman Rockwell painting uh, that was, I think it was first seen in the Saturday Evening Post many years ago. It's a picture of a woman in a store buying a turkey from a butcher. And the turkey was on the scale. And on one side of the turkey and one side of the scale, the butcher was pressing the scale down with a finger to raise the price. The woman was pressing the scale up on the other side. Uh, to lower the price, each was smiling at the other, 
not knowing what the other was doing. One writer, one writer says this in description of that picture, both the butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. The lovely lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. The butcher would be indignant if anyone accused him of stealing. And if a customer gave him a bad check, he would call the police. But neither saw anything wrong with a little deception that would make a few cents for one or save a few cents for the other. We can confess, can't we, with Martin Luther, if we look at mankind and all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide, stable, full of great thieves. We need to repent, I think, brothers and sisters, many of us, of of our theft. For Christians... We need to remember this world is not our home. Our hope, our life is not wrapped up in our possessions or anything this world has to offer. As Peter puts it, 1 Peter chapter 1, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our possessions are given to glorify God, to be enjoyed, to, be, to provide for our family, to care for others, to advance the kingdom of God. Our lives are not to be tied to them. In fact, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, those who have possessions are to live as if they had none. I'll let you ponder that statement from 1 Corinthians 7. Live as if they had none. Paul says in Philippians 2, Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's interesting that the King James Version says that Christ did not consider it robbery to cling to equality with God. The the Greek verb there means to, to grasp forcefully, and it can indeed say mean take what's not yours. The idea here is he, he gave himself freely. He took our nature to redeem sinners, thieves, robbers. Perhaps even those like you and like me. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you for your great grace. How we thank you, O God, for the breadth of your commands. And so, O God, we pray that you would use your word to penetrate our hearts to convict us of our sins, to lead us to greater righteousness and conformity with your word. Thank you, O God, for the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for all of our sins, who loves us, who cares for us. 
for uh, Christ, who by his spirit continues to sanctify us more and more into his image. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.